Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. We are on episode number 23 now, and I've got some excellent guests, as I always do. I've been really, really lucky um, with the guests that I've been able to have on this show. I'm very appreciative to everybody that takes the time to come on, and I hope that you've been enjoying the stories and the insight that these individuals are sharing. So some great conversations on the show today uh, from one who has the viewpoint of an owner but also has, of course, been active at the sales and part of buying horses. And from another individual who's literally done it all at the sales, from consigning, buying, both at the sales and privately as well, um, being part of some terrific racehorses along the way. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. I had a lot of fun recording it. And as always, very happy to have you along for the ride. All right, very excited about this next guest, somebody that I have wanted to have on since I started this show, waiting for the right time, um, Brad Wiseboard. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Keisha. Um, so Brad, first of all, you are involved in the industry in a lot of different points from both the buying and selling aspect. Um, tell me a little bit about Elite Race Sales, how you started it, and, and what sets your company apart. It started in 2017. Um, we honestly, we didn't know how big it would possibly get, uh, but we really felt that there was a need for a racehorse consigner that really understood racehorses, speed figures and form. And most of the typical Kentucky consigners started off as broodmares or yearling sellers. And we approached it from a much different angle, really at the racetrack. And our first mm-hmm. actual uh, sale was July of 2017. So I guess this is our fourth year in the business and our fourth July sale uh, next week or 10 days from now. And um, we were the leading consigner at that sale. And I thought we really recruited a great group of horses. And I think we're going to be very competitive with a great group of horses in uh, 10 days in July. So um, short answer to your question, we really... We really felt that we understood racehorses better than everybody else. And that's been the uh, meat of most of our consignments, our mares off the racetrack. And then obviously now these racehorses. I got to work with you guys a couple of years ago at the July sale and helping promote your draft. And one of the things that I think is great that you guys do is the passports. And tell me a little bit about that and how that's been impactful in promoting those runners and what they've done to potential buyers. Yeah, they're very important. I think they're important for both the sellers and the buyers. Most importantly, when the buyers come to our consignment, instead of having to do the homework, we give them everything. I mean, everything from ragasins to thoroughgraphs to PPs to thorough managers. Um, we've tried to take it to the next level to have um, a lot of the stuff being sent to these buyers' phones, and we give them race schedules. So we do all of the possible homework that any buyer would want on any horse in our draft. And then the sellers, that helps evaluate evaluate those horses. So instead of the sellers just bringing their horses to the sale and not having an idea of what these horses can bring, we try to educate them with, this is what these horses can run for, and this is what the horses are worth. And mm-hmm. I think 97% of the horses that we brought to, us to auction since 2017 have been sold. You know, we have very, very low RNA rates, and I think that gives all the buyers and our sellers confidence in our market. Kind of following along with your social media, some of the horses that we'll be seeing in the sales coming up have had recent wins or big updates. How important is that to see a horse that's been doing well on the track then heading to the sale? 
Yeah, it's crucial. I mean, it's crucial. We tried to, you know, we entered, I think, 35 horses that will scratch down to 25 horses. We try to weed out the horses that are not sound. Um, we only want to bring horses that pass the vet to auction. And then most importantly, we want them to have good current form. I mean, we can't control everything. I mean, not every horse is going to come into the sale off a win, but nobody wants to buy a horse off its worst effort. So we try to get those horses out of the draft and try to bring horses in off of wins. And just last weekend, we had some great results in Kinetic Sky uh, winning an allowance race at Churchill Downs. We have a couple horses in stakes this weekend. Um, the Ginger Queen is running on in New York on Sunday. So a lot of these horses have great current form. And even a horse like Front Run the Fed, he didn't win the poker, but he was third in the poker to a grade one winner in Rachel, I mean, in uh, Raging Bull and, and Alexandra. So uh, that's great current form coming into the sale. You mentioned horses that maybe have some soundness issues and that good form. Is pedigree something that plays a big part when you have horses that are currently on the racetrack too? Yeah, of course it does. Um, this is also a little bit of a unique July sale because they added a broodmare portion to this. So um, generally pedigree would be important, especially with a stakes filly. But now you have, we have one horse in that uh, Call Me Candy who in, in the uh, broodmare portion of that sale. But there's there's quite, there's definitely going to be people shopping for broodmare or broodmare prospects now that there's been 30, 35 horses added to that portion. And we're going to have some fillies in there that are already stakes winners, horse like Trickle In, uh, Temple City filly of Dan Blackers, that's already a stakes winner is in our draft. And we have three fillies that are already stakes winners in our draft. So yes, it's important, but this is that we have, we can't lose track that this is definitely a racehorse sale. Right. So this sale is unique, but as far as broodmare prospects do go, you've been pretty successful with those two Monoway girl this past year. And I think things really kicked off as far as fireworks for you guys with Teppin a couple of years ago. Tell me what it's like having the opportunity to sell mares like that um, after the Breeders' Cup in the fall. Listen, uh, we'll, we'll never forget what Robert Masterson and Joan Masterson did when they gave us Teppin to sell. And she set our world record for a turf filly, uh, bringing $8 million there in, in 2017. And that was the first year we ever had a consignment in November. So um, they, they placed a lot of trust in us and were able to deliver a great result. And then last year was magical. I don't think it will ever happen again. We sold $30 million of horses in one night, five millionaires. Um, Mona Moy girl bringing nine and a half million dollars. Uh, then obviously it, Uni uh, brought four point one million dollars to Peter Brandt, and you can't forget Midnight Bisu bringing five million dollars. So um, look, these connections have placed a lot of trust in us. Uh, we get to market these horses for a couple months between the summer and and really the fall and November sales, and um, it's very important. And we're very thankful for them. What is kind of your favorite time of year? Is it those fireworks with those kinds of things or looking ahead to some of the newer, younger horses? What are the things that you look forward to most as far as the consignment side of things? Listen, as you know, in racing, it's a 12-month, 365 yeah. business. So um, honestly, what I get excited for is that new big horse on the racetrack. Yes, November and July and January are great sales times for us and, and crucial for our business. But this all starts with winning on the racetrack. That's where I started in, in my career, and that's what I love to do. I love to buy uh, horses that end up winning stakes. I know my partner, Liz Crow, loves to find these yearlings and two-year-olds that end up being good horses. Then naturally, we get a lot of them back to sell 
in elites are draft. And that's why these companies are sister companies and they're really married to each other because I would say 70% of our drafts are horses that we've purchased. And of course, we're very thankful to get uh, the outside horses that we didn't buy. But when we get a good filly or a good cult that appears to be special, that that's a very big deal for our company, for both companies. Tell me about those relationships with owners that you've built over the years and how important that is because as you mentioned horses that you buy with them hopefully they're successful on the racetrack and it's all cyclical in racing but it really all comes down to those relationships yeah i think um jake memlo is a big part of our company said that we've sold for 14 of the top 20 owners in the game wow. which is pretty crazy to think about but you know when you get guys like seth clarman or peter brandt or sal cumin or mike dub or bob lapen or winstar farm these are the biggest racing outfits in the country, sometimes in the world. Uh, so we're very thankful to have the relationships with them. We don't buy horses for all of them, but we have sold for all of them. Um, the guys that I've mentioned, and they're the guys that are at the top of the racing game. Those are the guys that are the winning the Saratoga and Belmont meets. Those are the guys that are competing for leading owner, Eclipse Award leading owners. And uh, we're very thankful that they're part of the elite team. You mentioned uh, Liz Crow, and I was able to have Liz on the show uh, about six weeks ago, which was great, and getting a chance to pick her brain a little bit. Uh, tell me a little bit about the partnership that you two have created over the years and, and how you really complement each other so well in what you do. Yeah, she's terrific. Um, she's not only a partner of mine, but become one of my very best friends. And uh, listen, we talk every day, uh, multiple times a day, and she's got an unbelievable eye in my mind, uh, one of the best eyes in the mm -hmm. horse business. And the, the stats have backed it up. I mean, she's come up with champion year after year after year now, starting kind of Monomoy Girl, the first horse she ever signed for, went on to win multiple Breeders' Cups, multiple championships, and sold for $9.5 But she backed it up with a $40,000 purchase of British Indium. And then just last year, coming over to Tattersalls for the first time ever, buying yearlings. And she found Aunt Pearl, who was an undefeated two-year-old and a Breeders' Cup winner. So... Um, she doesn't need an introduction anymore. anymore. She's mm -hmm. um, got a special eye for the horse business. And then she really compliments our draft as well at Elite. I think initially she thought I was a little crazy um, coming into Kentucky and starting a racehorse consignment. But um, I think uh, she, after July of 17, she realized this is definitely possible. And now she and Caitlin Jackson, who I think it's very important to mention her, mm -hmm. um, she, she runs our consignment. She runs both the, the human aspect and getting all the employees, but also that she's in charge of the shed row and the horses. And uh, thank God to date, we've never really had any major accidents and all the horses have gone through our draft. And most importantly, they've come out of our draft as runners. You know, we've had grade one winners already, uh, like next year's off of our draft. And we take a lot of pride in that. So um, Liz and Caitlin and Jake, they're all very, very important parts of the elite team. I wanted to ask you about some of the private purchases too, because I know that's something that you do a lot of in overseeing and making happen. What are some of the things that you look for in a horse that you think might be a good fit for your clients to purchase privately, maybe after a start or two? Well, they got to be fast. Um, mm -hmm. And I look, I look at speed figures all day, every day. That's kind of what I started with. Um, I got to give Jerry Brown a big shout out because I was reading thoroughgraph sheets at five years old and betting dollar <laughs> exacta boxes with my dad. And, Kind of that's really how my business started and a lot of our success has been from that um so 
you know, we've we've bought into triple crown winners like Justify off of sheet numbers. Um, obviously, an addition of a Nick DeWatchergent in France found a raving beauty in Uni, and those were multiple grade one winners and champions both in Europe and now America. And um, on and on, you know, I think we have 90 plus grade one winners now. And I would say 15 of them were kind of public auction purchases and the rest were our private buys. So uh, it, it's been a, a terrific run. And um, I think that's something that I really like to focus on every single day is reviewing the speed numbers, both Thurograph, Ragasins, even the PPs, you know, buyers and trying to find the next exaggerator, a horse that we bought at the beginning of his three-year-old year and ended up winning Haskell and Preakness and selling on to Winstar Farm. So that's something I'll, I'll never lose love for. And you've had so much success doing that. And But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is a game that keeps you humble, too. How do you handle some disappointing news, maybe injuries or, you know, maybe a, a horse that disappointed you or things like that? How do you handle that with owners and with connections? Because um, we all know these animals can certainly find ways to, uh, to, to make us wipe the smile off our face as quickly as possible. So true. Brutal game. I mean, it's a really, it's a brutal game. Every day you're waking up to disappointment. Um, yep. Honestly, I think for me, it was the brain surgery because mm-hmm. uh, it was very tough. I took losses very hard. And when you have a real life experience like I had and getting sick and kind of being out six months, you got to still remember it's horses that run in a circle. Um, and, <laughs> you know, they listen, we all love it. We're all going to lose 80 to 85% of the time. We're all going to wake up and have that great, our best horse get hurt. Unfortunately, I, I say a line, they all get hurt, just a matter of when and how bad. And when I say injured, it just means they're going to be forced into retirement. Um, obviously, I don't really, really mean catastrophically injured, right. but th- this, all of our horses are going to retire at some day, and we got to be prepared for it. And I try to educate my owners right from the beginning that that day's going to come. And I hate to be a pessimist, but I like to educate them before they get in the game. And if you think about all of our best horses, really none of them um, went out on top. You know, I even seen Monomoy girl the last couple months um, on the farm at Windstar Farm. We all realized that you know, no, no one has had a better career than her, but it was a little bit start and stop there yeah. uh, for the three-year-old and f- really four-year-old year. And now, you know, she's on the farm now. So they're all going to end up going into pasture and retirement. Hopefully the Colts go into the stud barn and the Phillies become terrific broodmares. But we got to remember when we buy these horses, that day's going to come. The highs and lows of the game and the lows are lows, but the highs, it's a feeling unlike any other. What are some experiences, whether it's buying or selling or wins that you've been a part of that really stand out to you? I mean, Exaggerator being our first classic winner, uh, being in in the rain at Pimlico on the infield, kind of jumping up and down, (laughs) or even uh, screaming, he's a dirt horse with for Jonathan Thomas and the LaPenta crew, um, and Catholic boy winning the Travers. And then obviously that special night in November of of 2020, where we able to set some world records and sell the most money and horses in a night ever in the history of the business. I'll never forget that. Um, but with the next day you wake up as you just spoke about with some of the disappointments and you got to know that it's just around the corner and you got to stay level headed. And a, a guy like Todd Pletcher, you never see him get too high and you never see him get too low. 
and he delivers bad news in, in great form. And uh, I try to emulate myself a little bit off of his personality, knowing that uh, he's done this for the last 20 years. He just went into the Hall of Fame um, first ballot, obviously very deserving. And you can see that he really never gets ruffled. And I think that's a, a terrific personality trait in the horse business. Whenever you see people get way too high, usually they're people that take it, they get very, very low as well. It's tough to keep level um, in this business. It's always, what have you done for me lately too? You know, Todd's uh, Todd just got into the Hall of Fame, but everybody's waiting to see, for instance, is Happy Saver going to win this weekend? Um, okay. So it's all about finding the next one and looking forward to seeing what you and Elite have to offer the July sale coming up. And best of luck, Brad. Hope to see you at the racetrack soon. Thanks, Acacia. Keep doing great work. See you soon. Thank you. Happy to be joined now by Billy Koch, a fellow podcaster as well um, on the in, the in the Money Media umbrella to Billy. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. I'm happy to finally have you on the show. Oh, you know, it's a pleasure to be here, Acacia. And yes, we uh, we are under the umbrella, the the umbrella of Pete and JK. It's a very <laughs> it's a very large umbrella. And uh, I'm just uh, we talk about it on our show all the time. The owner's box, just how pleased we are with what we're doing and the uh, not necessarily us, but the whole group and yourself and, and everybody else who's on the uh, in the money podcast network. It's it's uh, it's pretty unbelievable. There's a lot of great content out there. There really is kind of this like dynasty, if you will, uh, for lack of a better term, that that they've created. But it's cool to be able to tap into all the different facets of horse racing. And you and Michelle, you, as you mentioned, you have the owner's box. Um, give a little plug, maybe for some people that aren't familiar with it, kind of some of the things that you guys talk about. Talk we, about. Yeah, we primarily, Michelle and I have been doing this show for actually like seven years. And we just owned the In The Money podcast uh, network this year. Um, and it's, it's been a great run. We, we, we really focus on the owners and we try to bring on different perspectives, big owners, small owners. I mean, we've had, uh, Garrett O'Rourke from Judmont. We've had Gary Barber on our show. We've had, uh, the, uh, Sacatoga stables. And then mm -hmm. we've had also little guys who just claim, you know, two or three horses. So it, you get a wide gamut. Um, you get a lot of advice. Uh, from these people, especially for people trying to get into the game as owners. And we talk about different philosophies and we talk about going to sales. We talk about the race, uh, the, you know, just, uh, racing management of your horses. And it, it's, it's a lot of fun. We, we have a good time. So it's, it's real light. Uh, we keep it light on purpose and, and we get great stories. We had Jimmy Bell on from Godolphin during the, uh, triple crown trail for mm -hmm. essential quality. And his stories were uh, unbelievable the ones he was he, michelle and i were we just sit back and listen um and and we really enjoy it so it, it's it's a ton of fun it's, it's a super fun show definitely recommend for anybody that's maybe interested in becoming an owner because that can be really intimidating too what are some of the things that you think are important as far as bringing some new people into that ownership role and i know you do that with the little red feather syndicate you know it, it, there is a tough barrier of entry, and I think um, it's interesting because even though, of course, I'm biased and I would love people to join syndicates, and there's a ton of really good ones out there, uh, um, but it's a great way to dip your toe in. It's a great way to learn if you're not quite sure exactly what you're doing. Um, I used to, you know, and I, I guess I still do. It's I don't want to call syndicates the minor leagues because we are now – um, almost more popular than just mm -hmm. owning a racehorse by yourself. But it's a place to go, especially if ultimately you do want to own your racehorses, uh, own racehorses by yourself. It's a great way to just get in, 
learn, talk to people, meet people. And, and really, uh, one of the things that always comes up is do your homework. If you're an owner, that's a, you really want to own a racehorse, call people. There's, um, like we said, all kinds of, of different partnerships. So it talks about location. If you want to be in Southern California, if you want to be at Saratoga, there, there's all different kinds and there's all different types of people. And usually the managing partner uh, is the person you want to talk to and get a feel for them and, and see if it's right for you because you might want something different. You, you know, I can tell you that little red feather, you know, we are, we are fun. We are, mm-hmm. we have a great time. We, we wear flip-flops and sit on the brand cafe at Del Mar and, and drink <laughs> beers and, 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 and that's kind of, you know, but we do take it very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, I, I take my job more seriously than probably most even understand or think just because of my personality, but that's who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not very corporate. There are others, there are other people who are, are different. Um, and, and I think you got to, you, you need to find a place where you fit in and where you feel comfortable. Now, tell me about the decision to start Little Red Feather, because I know you've been involved and a lover of the game of horse racing for quite some time. But what was the decision like just waking up one morning and saying, hey, this is something I think I want to do or something I can do? You know, it was so long ago, Acacia. I, it was probably before you were born. I mean, I syndicated <laughs> my first racehorse in 1991. That was before I was born. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot, I've been going to the track since I was five years old. My grandfather really uh, took me to the track as a kid, and we used to go and watch races from the backstretch at Hollywood Park. So I was completely hooked, completely addicted, and I wanted to know everything about it. And I really loved ownership. I, I, and I always said I wanted to be an owner, but truthfully, I could, could never afford it. Um, and when I, when I got out of school, went to Northwestern and got graduated in 91, and I just put together a group of friends. We each put in like a thousand bucks. And I had a friend of my grandfather's that was looking uh, to sell a piece of a couple horses. And we just did it. And we actually called it the Versailles Racing Club. You probably never heard of Versailles, but it's a, uh, um, it's a uh, Cuban restaurant. There's two of them here in Los Angeles. Nice. And we used to go there and they have this garlic chicken that you would eat and then you'd smell like garlic for four days. <laughs> you know, and we used to love it. Makes it. an and- impact. Yeah. And so we made silks and hats and we called it the Versailles, Versailles racing club. And our first horse we ever had was a, a horse named no more worries. That's what we named her. And, uh, actually Ron Ellis was our first trainer and we had a blast. And that was the, as, as we progressed and as I was able to start raising more money, that's when little red feather start, uh, started in 2002. So it's been a long time in the making. And truthfully, I am the luckiest person around. I get to do, I would literally have this conversation with someone yesterday. I get to do exactly what I love. I love bringing people into the game. I love these horses so much and, and I love the sport. And for me to make a career out of it, I am ex- incredibly fortunate, incredibly blessed. And it's really it's all because of the Little Red Feather partners, the LRF Nation, you know, these these people who are willing to come into this crazy sport knowing firsthand that they're probably going to lose uh, financially, <laughs> but they have a blast doing it. And I really owe a, a massive debt of gratitude to, you know, our over 300 active partners. It really amazes me. I mean, every day, and I've been involved in this industry long enough now, but it's so incredible. Sometimes you stop back, take a step back and think about it. How many people from different walks of life that these horses bring together, right? It, it, the, the relationships that are formed, the places that they take you, you know, one horse can bring you on such an incredible journey. 
Oh, 100%. Uh, 1,000%. It's really funny. We talk about it all the time that, and when we're pitching Little Red Feather to new investors, we always use the word, it's it's a community and it's communal. Um, mm-hmm. And you get with like-minded people. So when you come to the track, it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, a doctor, a plumber, uh, you know, a, a school teacher, does a retired anybody. We have a bunch of retirees who are with, and they do. They come from all walks of life, but they have one common goal, and that's to watch their horse run and watch their mm-hmm. horse win. So it, it it makes for great conversation. We have this uh, every summer at Del Mar, of course, except last year. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about the pandemic. No, um, uh, we have. <laughs> it a, didn't we happen have, that last year. Kind of, yeah, we have an opening week party down at Del Mar, and people, all our partners show up. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. They all show up. They want to meet the other people who own their horse. They want to meet, you know, they want to meet us. And it's a really, it's a really great setting. It's kind of a highlight of our year, and we're really looking forward to it in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so, so happy that places like Del Mar and Saratoga are going to have all the fans back. I'm so excited for all of that. But tell me a little bit when you have a syndicate about the types of horses that you choose to offer partners, because I'm sure, you know, everybody's looking for the next big grade one winner and they're obviously hard to find. But when you have a syndicate and you are dealing with people from all different walks of life, how do you go about choosing the horses to add to your program? Well, I think you have to do a little bit of everything, or at least that's what we do. Um, you know, we have we went to the two-year-old sales this year, and I think we bought eight two-year-olds, um, a couple colts, a lot of fillies. We like the fillies. I love the residual value of the mm-hmm. possibility if you have a little pedigree. Um, we've, we go to yearling sales and put together funds to buy yearlings. Uh, we do a lot of private purchases. In fact, some of our biggest horses were private purchases. You look at a horse like Midnight Storm that we bought into. Um, you look at a horse like Mirth who won the grade one Rodeo Drive. Uh, we, we bought her privately. Um, and, and so we, we try to give, it's almost like a menu, Acacia. It's, Hey, if you like the two-year-old game, here's this. If you want to be in yearlings, here's this. If you want to be in private purchases, here's this. Primarily, a lot of our horses, uh, truthfully, have run on grass as well in Southern California just to try to get away from some of the big boys. Sure. Um, so there, there's a method to the madness. But I think if you're, you want to appease as many people as you can and give them options, uh, and that's what we do. We also have done pin hooking. Uh, we've done stallion shares. We've done a broodmare pin hook. So we're in all facets of the game because not everyone likes the same thing. I think that's really important for any company. Yeah, as there's so much diversity in the different types of horses that you can be involved with. And you mentioned the residual value with fillies and going to the sales. Tell me a little bit more about that and and why that's a good investment. Well, listen, honestly, it's it's a lot easier to make a graded stakes winning filly than it is a colt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot easier to make a really nice broodmare than it is a stallion prospect. Mm-hmm. Because when you're when you're at these yearling sales or these two-year-old sales, the the potential stallion prospects are going for a lot of money. You know that. I mean, they're selling for a million, two million, eight hundred thousand. Whereas, you know, you might be able to land a, a, a nice two-year-old filly with a with a little bit of pedigree for 150 or 200,000. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about what kind of budget you're dealing with as well. Um, and we've had really good success with fillies such a, a private purchase, Raymundo Secret, who's a grade two winner. She'll probably end up getting being sold this year. I mentioned Mirth before. We bought her privately, ended up winning the grade one Rodeo Drive, ran six in the Breeders' Cup after going 109 for six furlongs. Thank you, Mike mm-hmm. Smith. I haven't <laughs> forgotten that. Uh, and, and she sold for a million dollars. We bought into four 
as a yeah. uh, with Mark Martinez, Agave Racing. She ended up winning a grade, the Grade One Santa Margarita. She sold for over a million dollars. Um, we had Egg Drop, who sold for one point yeah. nine million after winning the Grade One Matriarch. So, a lot of t- Secret Spice. I'm sorry, I'm keeping. I'm just rattling these off off the top of my head. But you Secret should be Spice, proud of them. <laughs> she was she, Secret Spice was. Um, we paid, I believe, one hundred and twenty-five thousand at the uh, Timonium, mm-hmm. and ended up winning the Grade One Beholder, and she sold for one point seven. So, it's a, like I said, there's a lot more success stories and a lot more uh, financial success if you can get a graded stakes winning filly. It's very difficult to do that with a colt. You have to have. You have to have so much, and you have to beat guys like Baffert and Brad Cox and uh, Pletcher and Asmussen. A lot of times, these fillies, and especially these turf fillies, you might have a little bit of a more, a little bit more advantage to get to those uh, seven-figure paydays. Does that make when sense? No, absolutely, because it's all about the investment too. Like you said, I mean, you typically don't go into being a racehorse owner to try and make money, but obviously you want to try your best, right, to not lose money. Yeah, we tell everybody that joins our partnership, I I keep it very simple. I say, look, um, this is not an investment. Uh, this is something you're going to do for fun. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to learn. You're going to bring your family out. You're going to come see your horses in the backstretch and watch, watch them breeze in the mornings. And on race day, it's awesome. You're going to come in the paddock. And when we win, it's going to be insane and all that kind of stuff. That's your job. My job is to run it like a business. So uh, that's 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 what I do. I mean, that's myself and, and Gary, my business partner. You know, we, we, we look at at the bottom line. And that's where we're focused. We're not just going in races just to have fun. We're going in there to win and we want to spot our horses really well and put them in places where they can succeed. And that's really important to, to everybody. So that's kind of our philosophy and, and other people might have different philosophies, but that's okay. That's why this is a great sport. We just wrapped up the two-year-old sales season. You said you bought about eight. Um, obviously with the seeming like the market getting so much stronger this year, given all the uncertainty that we had last year too. What were kind of some of your reflections from this two-year-old sale and being able to get some access to some of those nice horses? I think it was really tough. I think you hit it right on the head. I think people uh, came into this year uh, strong. Um, the, the, the Really, the, the, the best horses sold very, very well, uh, as always. But I think the, the, the middle market was tough, too. I mean, we probably, I don't have the number in front of me, but we bought horses for uh, 125, 90, 165, 195, 215. And that's kind of our market. And, and, mm-hmm. But that market is tough. It's tough to find the ones you want. You might have to stretch a little bit. So I, we found ourselves actually stretching our budget a, a little bit on some horses. And, and hopefully it'll pay off this summer. Uh, at Del Mar because we, we've got a bunch of them getting ready to go. Well, it looks like it started to pay off already. One horse you bought at the OBS March two-year-old sale for 165000 was Elm Drive. She just couldn't have won any easier in her debut at LaSalle. Well, you just gave me the chills. So a lot of people have been asking. It's funny. We've, we've, a lot of people have been asking about the names of our horses this year. And mm-hmm. it was funny when we when we bought, uh, she was by Mohammed and we really liked her. And we liked her the wholesale. And, and John Dowd, our bloodstock agent, did a phenomenal job this year, um, really sifting through a lot of horses and really telling us when we needed to go strong. Um, and so we named, uh, Gary and I decided to name all the horses uh, after streets uh, in Beverly Hills, which is where we grew up. 
Um, we grew up on the West side. Gary and I lived about five minutes away from each other. And so my mom's, uh, I don't want to say the whole address on the air, but she, uh, she lived on Elm drive. And so that was the first horse we bought. That was the first horse we named was Elm drive after my, after where I grew up. So it, it really is a special thing. And she was just, you know, it's one of those things, Acacia, she had been training brilliantly at Los Al and I spoke to Phil D'Amato after kind of her first three ace. And I said, Phil, why don't we just get her ready and run at Los Al? Why do we, we let's not wait for Del Mar. Let's get mm-hmm. this, let's get her the experience. If she wins, great. We have the Sorrento. If she doesn't, we can come back in one of the maiden races in the first book at Del Mar. And at least she's had the experience because so many times with first time starters, they can break slow or they get mm-hmm. intimidated or they have a bad trip or they can't come up the rail. You know, they're, they're just learning. They're just babies. But this filly, I don't know if you watched the race, but before yeah. the race, there was a, there was a scratch and there were all kinds of things going on. One of the other horses wouldn't load. I mean, there was mm-hmm. a delay, and she just stood there like a statue. I mean, even I talked to J.J. Hernandez, who, who rode her, and, and he was like, Billy, she was so professional. She just, nothing. She didn't turn a hair. She didn't have a bead of sweat on her. And when it was time to go, she went. Uh, she ran, I think she went 57-3, and three, which was faster than the boys ran the next day. Earned a 66 buyer. I'm not a big buyer guy, but um, I think it's one of the top. It has to be one of the top two-year-old buyers so far. So it's, you know what it is, Acacia? It's one of those things where, like, you can, it's so hard in this game. It's so hard to Mm -hmm. win a race. It's so hard to win a race with a two-year-old. And so when you do something right, it feels really, really (laughs) good. And we were so excited. We have a great group of partners on this filly. Um, A lot of them are new to LRF. Uh, some of them have been with us for a, for a very long time. And it's just, it's, it, that's what it's all about. It's about having the dream and having something yeah. really big upside. Because as you said, she was, I don't know if I can swear on the show, but she was fucking awesome. The other day. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and we knew, listen, we were confident. We knew she'd run well. I mean, look, she was four to five in a very short field, mm-hmm. uh, but she the way she did it was really impressive. And, and it's hard to impress press Phil D'Amato and I know after the race he was really excited about her and he already he called me like the, you know the next morning he goes okay I've mapped it out here's where we're gonna breeze here's how we're gonna get to the Sorrento and you know because it's it, it's pretty amazing early in the year especially at Del Mar you're talking about a race in early August that's a grade two and as you and I just talked about residually you get that you get a grade two even a placing in the bank you've mm-hmm. instantly upped your value and that's that's what we try to do yeah it's I think that you kind of really touched on the biggest piece of it in this sport, having something to dream about, to look forward to. I mean, thinking about circling those big races on the calendar, when you have one that you think can compete at that level, that's really what you're working towards all along. Yeah, it's great to win any race, but when you win with your ears up and wrapped up down to the wire with a filly like that, and you're able to look ahead to some of those big races, that's kind of the peak of, of what you're trying to do right in this sport. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I was on the, the, I was on the pseudo, uh, triple crown trail this year with my really good friend, Bill Strauss. And I'm sure you (laughs) saw his reaction when he won the Louisiana Derby. And, and I mean, I just saw what Bill just went through and it was really the time of his life. Um, bringing his family to those big races and, and coming up to Santa Anita for every workout. And really it's kind of all you think about. And look, I have a roster of 
uh, right now I'm staring at it. So I think it's over 50 horses right now in training. And, you know, every morning I think about her and she's won one race and it's, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean? but it, that's that, again, that's what you said. It's all about hope. It's all about dreams and it's all about big races. I happen to be scrolling on Twitter before uh, you and I got on the show and there was something that said early 2022 Kentucky Oaks uh, probables. And I was Ooh. like, really, this is early. And I just clicked on it. Number one, Elm drive. And I'm just dying. I'm like, Amazing. you know, it's so far away. It doesn't mean one thing, but I was like, Oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> it's so much can happen right between now. Right. And yeah. This is a joke. It's a joke, but it was really fun. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, so it was, it, it's, it, but you nailed it. I mean, it is this whole, it's hopes and dreams and that's what this game, and that's why people invest their money in the sport. And that's why they get into, to race horses. It's just to give them something that you can't just get in everyday life. So tell us if you can give us a little hint, maybe some other two-year-olds we may be looking for wearing your colors coming up this summer. Uh, yeah, no problem. We have a, a really nice filly with actually Baffert, uh, who's been training over at Los Al. Her name's Benedict Canyon. She's by Midnight Loot. Um, she's, uh, according to Mike Marlowe, who is uh, Baffert's eyes and ears over there, she is she can she can run a little bit. She'll probably run in the second or third maiden race down at Del Mar. We have a really nice Cupid filly named Roxbury. And she's going to run definitely in the first book at Del Mar. She's with Mike, uh, Mark Glatt. Uh, on opening day, or is it, uh, I think it's Saturday of opening weekend, we're going to mm-hmm. run a Malibu Moon filly named uh, Weatherly uh, for nice. Pete Erton. She has, she's really fast. And uh, I'm just trying to look. I, I'm, I'm looking at my roster because it's, it's hard at the, uh, off the top of my head. Uh, oh, we have a two-year-old colt with Mike Pipey named Elevato. He's a, a street boss that we bought at uh, Timonium, and he had his first like quarter-mile breeze the other day. He looks looks looked awesome. It was really nice. exciting. Kind of made your hair stand up. It's nice, as we've talked about Phillies versus Colts. It's nice to have a kind of a cool, fast street boss colt. You never yeah. know where that can take you. Um, we have a two-year-old with Chad Brown uh, in New York. Her name is Ochre. She's by Mr. Speaker. Uh, so we, we it's it, we oh we bought a Midnight Storm two-year-old filly cool. uh, that actually was purchased by Donata Lani for us. And, and her name is Loma Vista and she's at Los Al training. So we'll probably see her at, at Del Mar. All, still, Acacia, there's so much that has to go right just to mm. get into a race. So we're really far ahead, but it's it's really nice. I, I filled out, I just nominated them all to the Del Mar Futurity and the Del Mar Debutante. You know, they send out that little card <laughs> yep. and you have to, it's like 300 bucks. And I nominated them all and I turned it in and I said, I just want one. Just get me just one. one. <laughs> just one. One of these horses I'd like to run in the Del Mar Futurity in the Del, or the Del Mar Debutante. Um, it, 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 again, we, we say it over and over again. It's all hopes and dreams. But mm-hmm. we, we have some nice two-year-olds going in. But listen, the water is going to get very deep at yeah. Del Mar or at Saratoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's it, because everybody right now probably feels the same way I do and that, oh, I got a nice one here. Uh, so yeah. And, and you know, as well as I do before those maiden races, everybody's talking, Oh, this one can really run. This one can really run, but they still got to go out and do it. Yeah. You hear the buzz. That's for sure. Especially uh, with those summer races. Um, and just quickly, what's it like to have a horse by midnight storm that you were involved with? It's the coolest thing. I just, yeah, I feel like it. We have, we have two, we have one, uh, we have a two year old named Sayers who probably will not make, um, Del Mar, but we bought him as a yearling. And he's a really cool horse. He's a specimen. He looks just like Midnight Storm. And then this filly, it's, listen, when you campaign a horse and then you have their offspring, their, their progeny, mm-hmm. I mean, it's awesome. You, you, really cool. you know, like you, you talk to him, you're like, Hey, 
come on, I knew your dad. Like, <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of fun with it. And it's really, but the one thing it's, it's, there's a, um, there's a fine line because, you know, I know Gary and I talked before we bought a midnight storm. It's like, are people going to just think that we're just buying a midnight storm because we had midnight storm. And mm-hmm. that is, couldn't be farther from the truth. We're not going to buy a horse just because, you know, we campaigned his dad. We bought the horse cause we love the horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, people ask me all the time wh- when we're putting horses up for syndication, they're like, you know, I get the call. Acacia, I get, Hey, um, is this a good one? And I'm like, listen, bud, we buy like 10 to 15 horses a year. If we bought the horse, we think it's a good one. Now they're not always going to work out, but it's really funny, uh, that we get those kind of, kind of phone calls. So <laughs> it's, it, it, it's really cool to answer your question in a roundabout way. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you too, cause we, we talked a little bit about the start about, you know, how much horses can give you and where they can take you. And I know you're really involved um, with Karma as well, the California um, Retirement Management Account uh, for Thoroughbred Aftercare. You know, that's a huge part of my life too. Tell me a little bit about why that's so important to you and what we as an industry have been doing or need to do to focus on aftercare. I came up with a, I've been on the Karma board for probably 10 years, Mm -hmm. um, which is the California Retirement Account. And you know, I came up with a, a, a catchphrase, uh, aftercare is not an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's the responsibility of the owner of any animal that you own that to make sure that they have a proper retirement. And we started LRF Cares as well. We're doing a, a charity handicapping tournament this summer that will be awesome, that has all the prizes like a normal uh, uh, handicapping tournament for NHC births. And um, it it's it's the most important thing, Acacia, to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. it's it's all about accountability, responsibility. And when you own an animal, you have to make sure that that animal take it's like, it's like your dog. You're, mm-hmm. You know, it's I don't want to compare the horse to the dog, but it's like, you know, while they're racing, you love them and you can't just forget about them when they're done. There yeah. has to be a place for them to go. Where do all these horses go? So you have to make sure you find good homes. You have to make donations. You have to donate to to organizations like Karma so that we can help because we do. We have a placement program when a, a guy calls and and the horses needs needs a place to to go. And sometimes the the owner might not want to do that. Well, Karma has to be there to take care of them. Um, Karma was really involved with the you know the lilac fire. Mm-hmm. Um, there there's there's so many benefits, and I just think it's it's absolutely a necessity that if you have a chance and you want to give that's the right place to give is to take care of these horses because they do so much for us and we need to be responsible for them. I could not agree more. And was that, I, a, I lo- was that, was that too soapboxy? No, no, okay. I'm pleased. I mean, Hey, you're <laughs> preaching to the choir here. I mean, yeah, many people know my mom and I, um, run racing for home, which yes. is uh, TAA accredited. And we're, you know, we're much smaller than some of the big organizations. We have 13 in our care right now. And, but you know, it's a labor of love and it's so necessary because we get a lot of horses, unfortunately, that come off the track and have injuries and need a lot of time before they can be adopted out. But you may mentioned the karma placement program, which is just amazing. And they do such a great job of finding new homes and new careers for these horses. And I mean, talk a little bit about that and what some of the things that you've noticed, because thoroughbreds are so great at transitioning into any new career. Well, I, I give credit to Lucinda Mandela, who really runs Karma, Madeline Auerbach, who started it, and uh, Natalie Rykirk, who who kind of runs the placement program. And they are just on it. And they have relationships with, especially in California, they have relationships with um, 
so many different places and they're we're here to help that's what we are uh we are an organization that wants to place these horses whether they become jumpers or trail horses or some horses just you know go to a paddock i have a, a filly that we retired like i think it was like eight years ago and i got a picture of her the other day and she's like the happiest horse. She was oh. running around in the paddock. And, you know, we get um, we 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 get pictures of our horses five years after retirement and they're in a horse show jumping over whatever you call those things. I apologize for the people out there. I don't know what they're jumps. Hurdles. Boxers. Well, boxers. There you go. Boxers. Boxers. Oh, boxers. OK. <laughs> Uh, they're jumping over and it's, it's wild. Like you're like, yeah. Oh, look at this guy. You know, this yeah. was a, a graded stakes winner. And now he's, he's having a second career. That's what it's all about. And, you know, we talk about the hopes and dreams while they're running, but these horses, they, they, they need a place to go and they, and they want to work. And that's, I think what you were saying, they want a job. And so it, they can do so many things. They're so adaptable. You just mentioned that. And I think the placement program, that's what it's there for. So uh, for anybody who's listening who has a horse that you're looking to refer to retire in California, uh, please g- give Karma a call. Love hearing all of that. And, and thank you for um, talking about aftercare so passionately. I, I love hearing people in the industry that are doing so much good um, to look out for these horses. And wanted to wrap up, Billy, by asking you about some of the big horses that have really impacted you throughout your involvement in the sport. I know you mentioned a couple already, but tell me a little bit about a horse like Singletary or maybe just even some smaller ones that have really touched you along the way. You know, Acacia, that they all do. They mm-hmm. all touch you and you all have even horses. I, I just, the first horse that popped up in my head was a horse that never even made it to the races. Um, uh, I mentioned the lilac fire the other day, you know, he, he actually passed in that race and he was oh, one of our best two year olds. And it was like, but that's, isn't that crazy that a Singletary or Midnight Storm or Egg Drop or, or whoever it is, like that's the horse that popped into my head. So mm-hmm. I think they all I think they all mean something. And what I recommend definitely for for owners and if you're in a syndicate is is spend time with them. Go by the barn and you know, and I remember during the um during the pandemic there was a big deal, like the owners were weren't weren't allowed back at the barns. And mm-hmm. people came out and said, Oh, um, you just need to go feed your horse carrots. And it was like, you know what my answer was? Yeah, I do. <laughs> because horses are good for the soul. They you are. Just wanna, you just want to go back and you want to love on them and you want to play with them and you want to let them bite you. And you want to, you know, they <laughs> just, you want to give them that attention. And, and after wins, I love going back there and seeing mm-hmm. them and seeing how proud they are of themselves. And some horses know, I remember when I was growing up, this, we had our, our best horse was Telly's Pop and he won the two-year-old Western Juvenile Triple Crown back then. And I know he knew when he lost. I mean, you'd go back mm-hmm. to the stable and he'd be in the back of the back of the barn, uh, back of the stall. And just with his head, he wouldn't come out, talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. And when he won, he was at the front and saying, look at me. So they, <laughs> you know, they know. And that's just yeah. that's what these are about. And Singletary, of course, I mean, you know, we talked about it ad nauseum. That day was one of the greatest days of my life. Um, <laughs> you know, we were 16 to one. No one gave us a chance. And I've told the story before. We The day before I was standing up on the um at uh, Lone Star, they had this little platform kind of at the kind of six furlong pole, let's say. And um, the turf horses were waiting to go out and they're walking in a circle. And it was um, it was Ouija board. It was. Um, oh, God. Now I forget. What was the big uh, kitten? Uh, Kitten's Joy mm-hmm. and Singletary. And they're walking in a circle and I'm standing there and Dale Romans is next to me. And I didn't really know Dale. I mean, this is 2004. Yeah. And he's like, is that your horse? And he's pointing to Singletary. And I said, yeah, that's our horse. And he's like, man, he looks awesome. Wow. And I just went like, whoa. 
But, <laughs> uh, you know, because we, we look, we took it seriously. We had a lot mm-hmm. of fun during that week. And we were, you know, people were coming up to us and telling us, man, your horse looks great. And But it wasn't until that moment that I was like, wait, can we win? Mm-hmm. And uh, then we got the perfect trip and David Flores and Don Chatlos. Great job by them. Uh, and and Vato miss that guy. See him all the time, but he's mm-hmm. the greatest. Uh, it, it was you know, it was surreal. It was it was absolutely surreal. And it, it really we owe I owe so much to Singletary and to those, you know, 12 to 14 partners that were involved that I just went door to door to try to find to invest in a crazy horse racing partnership called Little Red Feather. Uh, because without them and without Singletary, who, we, you and I wouldn't be talking today. So uh, um, debt of gratitude to my man Singletary. He's, yeah, I watch the race probably once a week. So, uh, yeah, they, they impact you a lot. But I think the, the, the crazy thing is, is that we constantly have to find the next one. Mm-hmm. Got to find the next one. Who's the next star? Because you want those Saturday races. You want those stars. Those are the ones that you put up on the wall and, and that you, you treasure those moments because you and I both know they're so few and far between. Mm-hmm. It's really hard, especially to win a Breeders' Cup race. I mean, we've been back to the Breeders' Cup. We haven't won a Breeders' Cup race since 2004. So don't, you know, we don't want to talk about that. But who knows? <laughs> maybe this year uh, things will change. Acacia, you'll bring us some, uh, some good karma and some good luck and we can get back there. But uh, because we need to and that the, you want to win on the biggest stages. And, and he, he made that happen for us. Well, wishing you all the best. It sounds like maybe you do have a future star in your hands that oh, we'll wait. be looking I, for. Wait, I'm looking at my list. Can I say one more thing? Because I yes, forgot to mention a do. couple two-year-olds. So we we have a horse that we just bought out of Santa Anita. His name's Burton Way, uh, Facing Tipton, and he's really nice. He breezed 10 and 2 at Santa Anita, which was really fast. He's yeah. uh, a really cool horse by Spitestar. And then we have two Euro imports that cool. I forgot, totally forgot. Silver Surfer by Caravaggio, who I just went to see. Uh, at Coolmore, shout out to Charlie O'Connor. He's amazing. Yeah. And uh, he's going to run the Del Mar Juvenile Turf at the end of the meet. And then we have a horse that we're actually syndicating right now. We put her on the market yesterday. Her name's Sea Breezing. And she's by another superior stallion in uh, uh, Europe named Memos. Have you heard mm-hmm. of this guy? I have. He's awesome. Very, I mean, very He's cool. like the next. Very promising. Yes. Yeah. And he already has Going Global that came out here. He had the horse that won for Richie Baltus the other day, that uh, Hawk. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember his first name. Um, so we're really excited about those two. She's going to run in the Del Mar Juvenile uh, Philly Turf. So we have cool, two two-year-olds running on the final weekend of Del Mar, both on the grass and both with Phil D'Amato. So that's really exciting. That's all mm-hmm. I want. Yeah, no looking forward to seeing some Can of those you tell excited? In. as you should be. But I think that's one of the greatest things about it, though, Billy. This is the thing that you want to get excited about. Uh, I, I mean, it's making me excited for the two <laughs> all the two old races this summer. And I love it. I wish you guys the best of luck and uh, looking forward to following Elm Drive and all the others, too. Well, Acacia, I appreciate you having me on today. It was a lot of fun, and we love your show. Michelle and I talk about it all the time. Believe me, we pitch you uh, all the time (laughs) on the owner's box. So uh, uh, we we really enjoy what you do, and uh, we're all having fun, and we're so glad that, as you said, the fans are back. It's going to be an amazing summer at Del Mar or wherever you are, Saratoga, Monmouth, wherever, wherever we're running this summer. Uh, and, and, and keep up the good work because you're doing a phenomenal job. And, and we're proud to be uh, under the umbrella of the End of Money Media Network. Same here. Thanks so much, Billy. All right, Acacia. Talk to you soon. Thanks.
Well, that'll do it for another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. Big thanks to Brad Wiseboard and Billy Koch. A lot of fun on today's show. Um, You all have a lot of horses to look for and follow both on the racetrack and at some of the sales coming up. Um, Looking forward to following along all of the two-year-old action, especially as we are now just a couple weeks away from the start of Saratoga and Del Mar. I'm sure there'll be a lot more conversation about some exciting racehorses that we've seen debuting on the track track, especially as we get into some of those two-year-old stakes. As always, if you're not signed up for the In The Money Media newsletter, head on over and do so. There is a ton of stuff, including Billy um, and Michelle Yu's show, uh, the owner's box under the In The Money Media umbrella, and a lot more available out there for whatever part of the industry you're interested in. So I hope you take advantage of that and get ready for some great In The Money Media content coming up throughout this summer. And as always, if you have any suggestions for or people that you'd like to hear from on this show on In The Ring, or if you'd just like to share this with other people that you think may be interested in it, please do so. Look forward to talking to you over on social media. And thanks again for listening to In The Ring with Acacia Courtney. I'll see you next time.